All right. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about the gift of obedience. The gift of obedience. Our text verse is going to be coming out of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from the first five verses of Scripture. The gift of obedience. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That would have been a lot. (laughs) At that time, that would have been a lot. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Has anybody ever read that passage of Scripture and said, why did they insert that little sentence? Anybody ever think that way? Why did they, what does that matter? That this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The reason that Bible writers, and by by extension, why God did that kind of stuff in His Word is to substantiate reality from fiction. See, you can trace the Syrian emperor Quirinius's, uh, um, um rule, and you can see where the Roman Empire also issued a decree to have a, a census at that time. What this does is substantiate biblical fact. That's why that the Lord did that, and by extension, the writers of the Bible did that. So that you can actually say, no, look it up. This happened. Just one more fact in the arsenal of facts. Okay? Uh, let's move on. And everyone went to their own town to register. So, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. That is the beginning of the Christmas story that we all know and love to hear. Amen? We all know that. You can almost see Joseph walking next to the donkey, carrying a very, very pregnant Mary. It's kind of cinematic, almost romantic in a sense. Everyone is just happy to be serving the Lord. But have you, and you may have, have you ever thought about what it was like leading up to that journey. I mean, that that five scriptures right there, that's a picturesque kind of hallmark card kind of thing where everything is great and you see this these halos around the people as they're going to go have baby and be counted and but has it, has it ever occurred to you that there was actually some stuff going on leading up to that event? With that said, we're going to watch a video right quick.
don't look at me that way. I don't want to hear it. I mean it, Delilah. This whole trip is ridiculous, and you know it. Oh, well, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? You're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party, and you're invited, so stop complaining about it. Caesar and this whole head counting nonsense. Truth is, and I'm only telling you this, under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem and see my family again, my, my uncles, my cousins, of course, Aunt Yael. But now, how am I supposed to explain all this? Mary. Mary needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. What am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family going to say when they see Mary and I together and she looks... <clears throat> Doesn't matter. We have to make the trip to Bethlehem because I, way, way back... I'm related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And... You said marry her. So I did. You said, name him Jesus, so I will. You said, you said he would be the son of God. Your son. You are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to believe still seems so impossible. So, girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God. And I will be carrying a lot. A lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy peace. video, we know a few things that we probably did not know before. 
We know that the donkey had a name. And her name was Delilah. And that Delilah was extremely expressive and had just a wee bit of attitude. Of course, it's a donkey. Yeah, they tend to have some attitude. The other thing that we know that we never heard of in our theological studies or just our casual reading of the Scriptures is that Joseph was a donkey whisperer. We did not know that. While there was some poetic license taken here today, it's pretty interesting to stop and to think about what it must have been like for Joseph leading up to that first Christmas journey. What must it have been like at this time in his life to be Joseph? Wow. There had to be more questions than there were answers for Joseph. Have you ever lived there? Circumstances in your life, being what they are, you end up with more questions than you have answers. He had to be concerned about how things would go and what people would think. And isn't that funny how we always tend to default off and be worried about what people will think of us? Unlike so many of the other people that are mentioned in, uh, during this time in this particular story in Scripture, Joseph only had a dream to go on. That's all he had. Something that was brought to him in his sleep. Zechariah, Zechariah couldn't speak. Under normal circumstances, he would have no problem with this. But he couldn't speak. He was made to not be able to speak. So, Zechariah knew that God had to be up to something to have his voice taken. Mary, well, Mary was pregnant. She hadn't been with anybody, and yet she finds herself with child, she could not deny that God was at work doing something. The shepherds would have a, a massive gaggle of angels descend upon them in, night, in the night while in the field. I think they're thinking, you know, God's doing something here. The Magi, for crying out loud, they have an astronomical event occurring for only the Lord knows how long, in the sky, a divinely directed star that actually physically moved in order to lead them. But Joseph, long before Dr. King ever said, I have a dream, Joseph had a dream. That's what he had. That's what he had to work with. That's it. He had to trust that what he was told during his sleep was actually from God and not bad Jewish food. He had to trust. He had to believe. You know, I'm thinking to myself, while 
looking at this particular story, that must have been some convincing dream. Have you ever had a dream and thought, was that from the Lord? Was that God's trying to speak to me? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Under these circumstances at this time in history, with the various players in place and the ramifications thereof, Joseph wasn't asking if this was God. That was a convincing dream. Abraham, Abram, in Ur of the Chaldees, never having heard the voice of Jehovah ever. God calls to him, and what was his response? I wonder who that is. No, he said, Lord, The thing about the voice of the Spirit of God is when God speaks, you don't have to ask if. That was some dream. And as a result of that dream, that was some kind of faith on his part. It's amazing that this quiet man, who we frankly don't really know all that much about, may have been the single most faith-filled individual in the entirety of the Christmas story. He chose to obey God and in so doing set an example for all of us to follow. Joseph showed us three things, three things that we want to make note of this morning. First thing is he showed us how to obey God in difficult times. Obeying God is challenging. And obeying God is challenging because we want to do what we want to do. We're kind of like Delilah that way. We want to do what we want to do. But the challenge is, however, it's intensified when you throw in various difficulties. Obeying God... And the challenge of obeying God kind of grows when you throw in certain things that don't allow align themselves with our way of thinking and living, and we call them difficulties. Here's a difficulty for you to think about. Your fiancé, whom you have not slept with, is pregnant. That's a difficulty. Here's another difficulty for you. She's telling you that it's God. But don't worry. These difficulties are bad, right? Those are bad. But don't worry because Joseph has a plan. You know what Joseph's plan is? Avoid the difficulties. That's what Joseph set out to do, to avoid the difficulties. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, reading verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was 
a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So the way Joseph wanted to handle the difficulties was avoid them altogether. So Joseph has this plan. Now, it's a benevolent plan, make no mistake. He's going to step away quietly so that Mary... Mary's not exposed publicly. He's not uh, running away, per se. He's not just saying, I'm out of here, gone. No, he's going to do it procedurally correct, but in a benevolent way. He's actually planning to do a righteous thing here. There's only one problem with his plan. It's not God's plan. That's a problem. And I'm gonna, I was talking with my oldest son not terribly long ago, and he made a fascinating observation that I am going to not quote him, but I'm giving him credit right now publicly. Neither opportunity nor proximity does the will of God make. Neither opportunity nor proximity does the will of God make. We have our plans. We have our desires. We have our wishes. We know how things are supposed to go. Quote, unquote. But opportunity and proximity does not the will of God make. Paul was... Chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Paul was going to go to Asia. That was his plan. He wanted to go there. Did he ever get it to Asia on his timetable? No, because he was unceremoniously interrupted and his plan was preempted by the will of God with a Macedonian call. We have great ideas. Let's be honest. We have great ideas. But unless those great ideas align themselves with the sovereign, transcendent will of God, those great ideas are destined for the dustbin. Let's look here. And Matthew chapter 1. Now these are the verses that immediately follow Matthew 1, 18 and 19, where we just learned about uh, uh, Joseph's plans. Let's look at verses 20 through 25 of Matthew 1. But after he had considered this, his plan to put her away quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, 
He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, during the most difficult time in Joseph's life, God called him to be obedient to make sure that God's word was fulfilled. During the most difficult time in Joseph's life, God called him to make certain that his word was fulfilled. Who would have blamed him? Let's, let's just be honest. Who would have blamed Joseph if he, if he would have followed his original plan despite the dream? Who would have blamed him? The truth is, no one on planet Earth would have had any idea that an angel came to him in a dream and said, don't worry about it, this is what's going down, you need to marry her and just take her home and you're, you're, you'll be good. And this is what's going to happen. And he vows and he wakes up and goes, yeah, no. Mm-mm. Who would have blamed him? They never would have known that God was involved if he had kept his mouth shut. No one would have had any blame for him. They would have thought, yeah, buddy, that was a tough one right there. But we're here for you. He'd have joined some Jewish support group. Y'all are awake, right? Okay. I'm going to be honest with you, that was kind of funny. Maybe a little bit, not a whole bunch. But the support group thing, that was kind of funny. Here's the deal. And here's what we need to recognize. Now, we say these kinds of things a lot in our Christianity, but here's the facts. And Joseph backs this up. Obedience is not about who is watching. Obedience is not about who knows what about your circumstances. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is about trusting God's plan even when it seems impossible and doesn't make one iota of sense. Come on, Karen, preach with me. Hallelujah. Joseph was obedient because he was a righteous man who trusted God's plan and that it was the best plan and that that best plan was better than his plan. How many of us have plans? Had plans? Still got plans. But inexplicably they are interrupted by this, that, or the other thing. Maybe it's time we stop and wor- stop worrying about our, the fulfillment of our plans. I'm thinking right now, Addison, right now I'm channeling the Joker. Right now I'm channeling the Joker. That's hilarious to me. I'm sorry. Everybody has plans. But the bottom line is, is only God's plan is the plan that actually matters. And what's so funny about God's plan is the reality that He is willing, because of His infinite sovereign status, 
seeing all that there is to see, He will unceremoniously interrupt our plans in favor of His because He has a long, long game to play and we typically have a very short one. Obedience to God can be tough even when life is good, much less when life is difficult and when times are hard. The baby that Mary was carrying would later grow up to say these words found in John chapter 16. He would say, I have told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. Amen? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, in America, here in the West, we tend to interpret words like, Trouble, when the Bible says in this world you will have trouble, as things like um, uh, everyday kind of inconveniences. That is not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, words that he used here in the Greek are more aptly attributable to here to this to this the words like tribulation and affliction, anguish and persecution come to mind. This is the Greek. So when he talks about in this world, in this life, you'll have trouble, look for that. And still, he will never fail you. What did we sing? Why would he start now just because trouble and tribulation and anguish and persecution, disappointment and heartbreak... Why would He fail you now in the midst of all that you're going through, despite the fact that when you look around, it doesn't look like God, because it doesn't look like blessing. Blessing isn't only a check coming in the mail to take care of your car payment. Blessing in Him again is the long game. How many times have I preached here that we need to fix our focus in Him because in Him, in, in redemption story and subsequent conversion through salvation, are we adopted into the family of God and we are not removed Life can be tough. Difficult times are going to come in this world. But He has overcome the world. Death and the like have no hold on us, ladies and gentlemen. It's merely checking out of here to check into there. What a promise. God is not asking us to hop on a donkey and take a pregnant spouse on a long journey. He's asking us to trust that no matter 
how difficult life gets. He's asking us to put our trust in Him. Why? Because all the things that would eliminate other people who do not have Jesus doesn't eliminate us. We have an eternal promise that no matter what happens here, we are fixed in Him. Elise and I were talking just this morning, for just a moment, just a moment. Um, a slide came up on the screen, and it had those big angel wings over the top of the city. And we were talking about how interesting that looked. And I just made the passing comment, I cannot wait to get there. I just can't wait to get there. You know, I have a family that I love. Wife, boys. But the bottom line is, is I cannot wait to get there. How about you? Is that where you're at? Man, I'm telling you. I know we have a job. I know we have a task. I know that He has commissioned us to make a difference in this world. But I'm going to be honest with you. I just can't wait to get there. He's asking us to trust that no matter how difficult life gets, ask us to trust. He has overcome the world, and the bottom line is, is He has got this, and He has got us. Hallelujah. Not only that, but that baby would be the Prince of Peace, the one who would calm the storms of our lives and set us, and see us, I'm sorry, through the difficult times. The truth of the matter is, is that we experience peace when we obey God in the midst of the difficulties of life. I'm going to say that again. We experience peace when we obey God in the midst of the difficulties of life. You know... You know what I'm talking about. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Those events, those times, those seasons where you shouldn't have peace because the environment and the circumstances are such where there shouldn't be peace. But you have peace because the Prince of Peace rules over your life and your living. And you trust Him even in the midst of the difficulties we trust and we obey. Praise God. Well, next, Joseph showed us something else. Joseph showed us how to obey God in distant places. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how much easier it is to obey God and to live for God when we're in the comfort of our own, quote, home, end quote. Where we're comfortable. Our surroundings, this is, this is our place. But... Can we be obedient to God in distant places? Joseph was going to have three dream visits visits by the angel. The first comes when he's instructed to take Mary as his wife. And even though, despite the fact that she's pregnant, there's dream number one. The second comes after the Magi make their visit 
to see the Christ child. Look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Joseph could have had no idea whatsoever that when he agreed to take Mary as his wife, that his life would never ever be the same again. There are consequences to obeying God. There are consequences. And Joseph, utterly clueless how this would alter the trajectory of his life. Surely, he just wanted to go back home. You know, live his life. However, it was not safe at home. It wasn't safe there. Herod was killing baby boys in an attempt to destroy the coming Messiah. Just wasn't safe there. So the angel in Joseph's second dream says, take the family to Egypt. Here's the thing about Egypt. And you might want to make note of this, even if it's just a mental note. Egypt is not a safe place. Egypt merely was a safer place. It's a foreign land. It's a long ways away. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they were just nothing more to the Egyptians than refugees. Traveling vagabonds, as it were. Seeking asylum from a tyrannical ruler. They were far away from anything that they called home. Family, friends, the market that they would frequent, the streets that they knew well. They had each other. And the only other thing that they had was God. That's pretty much it. They will, consequently, upon moving to Egypt, get a load of this, they'll stay in Egypt somewhere in excess of two to three years before they ever get to head back home. And they stayed, listen now, two to three years in the midst of their difficulties. Now that doesn't sound like modern blessing. That doesn't sound like modern, highly favored mantras. What that is, is reality in God. Why? Because God's end game wasn't Joseph and Mary's comfort. It was the life of the King. The child King. The Messiah. Preservation. Oh, it's not that God was going to save him from death forever. We all know that. Because that baby was born for the express purpose of dying. Just not prematurely. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in a distant place? It could be physically distant, like Mary and Joseph. Distant from anyone that you love or that you know. 
It could be emotionally or socially distant from all that you're familiar with. It even to you could be spiritually distant from all that you desire. You ever been there? Either way, feeling far away can be very, very difficult. The real challenge of distant places is when we feel distant from God. And unfortunately, because of who and what we are, that being people, flesh, oftentimes difficult circumstances, we mistake that as distance from God. Did you all hear that? When by choices or circumstances it seems God is not where we are. He's not with us. Interestingly, Christmas is all about God coming to be with us. Emmanuel. And yet sometimes we still feel distant from Him. Hmm. The truth is, we are never really distant from God. It is just a feeling. Again, the baby Jesus would grow up and say this, these words to His followers. Matthew chapter 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's just a feeling. We're never really distant. Remember what the angel said to Joseph in his first dream. They will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is the story of God coming to be with us. We may feel distant from Him, but we are not. Not because we feel close, but because He said He won't be far. He showed up and said He's going to be with us to the very end of the age. If you don't feel God, please know, God doesn't take that personally. He just knows where you are. But He's still right there with you despite how you feel. And that's not me being a tall, slightly overweight, bearded cheerleader. That's His Word. And you can bank on that. During this holiday season, if you feel distant from family, distant from friends, hold tight to the promise of a Savior who is always, always just a prayer away. Last thing that Joseph showed us. Joseph showed us how to obey God in daily life. The final dream we have of Joseph is a Call is when he is being called back to Jerusalem, back home, if you will. Now remember, this dream is two to three years in the making. They've been a long way from home for two to three years. This is what the angel says, or the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, after Herod died, 
an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that um, Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, way up north. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. God uses life's circumstances and challenges uh, to work in us to accomplish his plans. It's, it is. Isaiah 11, chapter 1 said that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. God was using Archelaus, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, and working through Joseph to make this come true. So the son of the murdering emperor drove Joseph north around the Sea of Galilee, in Galilee to Nazareth. He used that man to get the prophecy, the prophecy fulfilled about Jesus being a Nazarene, being called a Nazarene. Achilles was a tyrant, even worse than his father, King Herod. Archelaus uh, began his reign. Get a load of this guy. This is the kind of guy you want to hang out with. He started his reign by taking 3,000 prominent citizens and having all 3,000 murdered. His reputation would cause any good father or stepfather to think twice about taking a child Messiah there. So, instead of heading home, which is what they would have wanted to do after two to three years in a distant uh, a country, they had to reside in Nazareth. Again, the Lord God, not so interested in Joseph and Mary's desire to go back home, God's desire was, one, preservation of the child, two, fulfilling the prophecy that he was going to be called a Nazarene. That's what it is. It is the day-to-day obedience in our lives that builds up the bedrock of being a disciple of Christ. In his most famous sermon, In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus would say, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You preached this before I ever preached it. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The takeaway here, here's your takeaway. And all of you who have any 
age to your Christianity whatsoever already know this. I'm preaching to the choir. Number one, it's really, really important to build your house in the right place. Everybody tell me right now, audibly, I want your response. What are the three rules of real estate? Location, location, location. You can build on the sand. I mean, who doesn't like to run out their front door and stick their toes in the sand and wiggle, wiggle, wiggle? But when the circumstances of Matthew 7 come to pass on your house there, your house is gone. So when you build on the rock, the storms, brothers and sisters, the storms are coming. Most of you know what those storms are because you've been through them before. Probably more than once. But you have the knowledge that let it come. Let the rains beat down. Let the winds come. Let the, wave, the, the water raise up. It's not going to change my circumstances in Jesus because I've built on Him. And He's not going to let me down. Daily living. Daily living. Hearing the Word of God is good, no doubt. James tells us about the hearer of the Word. But obeying it or putting His Word into practice is the key to dealing with the storms of life. This is a challenge for most of us. We just don't think about it on a daily basis. We get sidetracked by life, by work, by family, by our paycheck and our bank account and selfishness of all things. And anything else (laughs) that seems more pressing than consciously choosing to obey when we were a kid, you know, when we were kids, did, did you ever make a coupon book um, for your mom or dad at Christmas? Anybody here ever make a coupon book for your mom or dad at Christmas? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Um, you take the time to write out things, one on each little page, that you do for them. And all they have to do is tear out the coupon during the year and hand you the coupon. And that's the thing they're redeeming in for you to do. It'd be things like uh, unload the dishwasher. Or clean out the litter box. Or take out the trash. Make dinner. Wash the car. You know, either way, most of the things that you inserted or that you put in this coupon book, were things you're supposed to do anyway. They're called chores. But it just seemed like a really nice gift. And of course, when you're a parent, especially a mom, you receive one of those coupon books, and they're like, oh, how sweet, and hug the Yeah, my boys never made those coupon books. They did make uh, coupons, though. Was it hugs or kisses? 
You're sitting there looking at me like, oh, I don't know. I never. Yeah, you did. Yeah, well, you did. If my, what was it? Back massages. That's what they were. Yeah, the boys would do back massages. And I'm going to tell you, when your boys are 6'8 and 6'10, that's a whole different level of back massage. That's a back massage and a trip to the chiropractor at the same time. Oh, doesn't this feel good? Oh, oh, oh. you know, it's, it's really something. Okay? So that's what, that's, that's, that you guys, some of you guys did that. And you all know what I'm talking about. And, you know, this is a little cheesy. But what if for this Christmas, this Christmas, you made a coupon book. I'm sorry, you can't give God massages. Sorry. But made a coupon book. Take time and sit down and write different ways you're going to actively seek because you know where you're weak in God. How many takers do I have here? You know what you're weak in God. Make him a coupon book, as it were, hypothetically, and let him know, I know I'm weak here. I know I'm I'm not holding up my end of the bargain here. But I want to be obedient in these areas this year. And all you have to do at that stage in the game, how many of you pray daily? How many of you have a quiet time daily? Bring that up to Him. Help me today to be better in fill in the blank. I'm going to conclude the message now quickly. This mystery man, the Bible calls him Joseph. This righteous man who carried or cared for Mary and helped raise the Messiah seemed to show us what simple obedience looks like. God said, Go. And oh, Joe, he said, Okay. Take her to. Egypt, okay. Three years later, time to go home, okay. He didn't have to be a great religious person. He didn't have to know how everything was going to work out. He didn't have to be, uh, to be seen and respected by a whole bunch of other people. He didn't have to have an audience. Matter of fact, his whole story stops abruptly in Matthew chapter 2. He's just gone. We don't even know what became of him for crying out loud. We have no earthly idea. We just know he was obedient. That's what we know. And oh, that the very same thing would be said of us. Amen? Oh, that the same thing would be said of us. That we were obedient. Joseph seems to epitomize what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 12. Listen to this. This is my closing scripture. 
So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. If you want to know what version that is, that's the message. So, how about it? This Christmas, obedience, the watchword. Obedience. In the times that are no fun, that are unexpected, that are mm, completely upending our normal life and our living. Obedience. Those of us who know the Lord and have been around the Lord for a long time. Know that life, man, you know what's guaranteed in life? They always say death and taxes. (laughs) There's one more thing that's guaranteed. One more thing. In Jesus Christ, you are never going to be let down in Him. So this year, this Christmas, obedience. Let that be your watchword. In faraway places, in everyday life, in disrupted living. Amen? Father, we love You. We praise You. We acknowledge You here in this place. And Lord, we just ask right now in Your precious name, Diana, if I can ask You to come forward, I'd appreciate it. We just love You, Lord God. We give You praise and we give You honor. And I could have those elders who are present. I'd like them to come forward too. Lord Jesus, we lift You up right now in the name of Jesus. We lift up the name We lift up You, Lord God. We exalt You and we praise You. You are God, we are not. And Father, sometimes life is just beyond (laughs) understanding and obedience becomes difficult. We, We can so easily default to our humanity and the parts of that humanity that are not very godly. So, Lord, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that Joseph's example to us today, Lord God, that you would help that be internalized in every one of us, that we might better obey you even in these hard, hard times when nothing seems stable, when nothing seems right and the same. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Is there anybody here this morning who doesn't know 